I want to dive into our series, back into our series, Relation Slips. Uh, if you were here last week, we sort of kicked off the series talking about um, uh, how to have fulfilling friendships in our life. And today we're going to continue the conversation. Um, in fact, I, I believe today's conversation uh, is we're going to talk about an element of our relationships that I believe perhaps gets is... I'll put it this way. I think it ends up being one of the number one barriers to us having healthy relationships. And it's an element that's, that's, that's talked about all throughout scripture. In fact, Jesus had a lot to say about this. And we're gonna look at how do we overcome offense in our life? Uh, in fact, Luke 17, one, Jesus said that offenses would come. Uh, he said, you will be offended. Somebody else will say something that will hurt you. Uh, somebody will do something that you'll feel mistreated by. Uh, that, that there'll be hardships in life. There'll be offenses in marriage, offenses in workplace, offenses even in the church. Offenses will come. But listen, he, he, here's a, a major thought I want you to grab hold of. Offenses will come. But offended is a choice. Uh, offenses will come, but deciding to hold on to a grudge is a choice that we willingly make. And I want to talk today about how do we overcome offense. Sound good? Some of you are already offended by the title. <laughs> come on, this is for you. Come on, somebody. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you, Lord. God, we thank you. Lord, that, that offenses do happen. Lord, the pain is real. The hurt is real. God, when loved ones, when, when coworkers, when spouses, when fellow church members do things that offend us and hurt us and harm us, uh, Father, we just thank you, though, that by your spirit, God, we can overcome, Lord, the detrimental effects of offense, God, and that we can live unoffended, that we can, we can walk in healing and wholeness, and uh, we thank you for it, Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. You know, we, we were not designed to, to live offended. In fact, this, uh, this is intriguing. As you look at research, uh, University of Pennsylvania, they did this at Penn back in 2017. They did this study where they looked at um, what, are the, what are the effects physically and psychologically, of holding on to a grudge or unforgiveness. Here's what they found. They found that unforgiveness or, or, or remaining offended uh, increases your levels of anxiety and depression. It elevates your blood pressure. It decreases your immune response. And there's worse outcomes for coronary artery disease. Uh, Concordia uh, University in Canada, they did a uh, one of their professors did a 15-year longitudinal study of the effects of bitterness and offense and holding on to a grudge. And here's what they found over 15 years. They actually found that holding on to a grudge or remaining offended over time actually releases C-proteins into your body, which increases the level of inflammation in your body. It increases your blood pressure. It's associated with uh, rates of cardiovascular disease. They said what they found, what happens psychologically and physiologically when you are offended, when you're holding on to unforgiveness, when you're holding on to a little bit of bitterness, that literally your body is living in a fight response. 
that your body's in this elevated state, which leads to inflammation all over our body. Can I tell you what the research is showing us, church? We were not created to live offended. That we were not created to hold on to unforgiveness. Can I get amen? amen? That our bodies even tell us, hey, 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 this is not the way it's supposed to be. But, but I'm sensitive because offenses come. Do we agree? We'll have a boss that maybe intentionally overlooks you at work. A friend that maybe you hear about talk behind your back. A, a, a relative, oftentimes offenses come in the form of family. That, that you have a, a parent or a sibling or an uncle or a cousin that says something or does something that's a sin against you. Uh, or in marriage, offenses come a lot. And all the married people said, amen. all right, don't say amen too, too loud. Okay. 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 It's okay. Come on. We're taking the mask off. Come on, somebody. If you, if you don't know what that means, listen to last week's message. Um, but, but the reality is that they will come. So, so if they have not come to you, I have good news for you. They will come for you. Probably this week. Come on, somebody. Someone's going to cut you off on the beltway. Come on. Um, but how do we overcome them so they don't take root in our life? And I want to look at a passage of Scripture from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4. And the Apostle Paul, uh, in these two scriptures, he gives so much. Why I love the Apostle Paul and his writings is so often he, in, in some of his letters, when you read, whether it's Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians, sometimes you have to read them slowly because he communicates so much. He gives so much instruction in a few verses. And we're gonna read just two scriptures today. And we're gonna spend the remainder of our time unpacking these two scriptures. It's Ephesians 4, verses 31, if you have it, uh, your, your Bible, if not, will be up on the screens. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with any form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So much is said in these two scriptures. I want to unpack them uh, and really help us to overcome offense, whether if we see ourselves right now, maybe living with some offense, uh, or that we will encounter offense. How do we uh, live whole and healthy and have thriving relationships. Here's the, the first point, if you're taking notes, is that you have to give God the burden of offense. You have to give God the burden of your offense. He says, get rid of all bitterness. Bitterness is the result of an unhealed offense. It's when we, we, are not, we have not yet released uh, in forgiveness, that we're still holding on to unforgiveness, we're still holding on to offense. In Hebrew culture at that time, bitterness was actually considered very wicked, very evil. They considered it satanic and demonic, that had to be bitter. In fact, in the Old Testament, it talks about that bitterness is like a poison, that it, that it spreads. I heard somebody once say this, that unforgiveness is like, is like drinking poison in hopes that the other person is harmed. That it only ends up harming us. And the Bible speaks a lot about this idea of, of bitterness. And really what bitterness is, again, it's just having some offense that we're holding on to. So being offended. It says in Hebrews 12, talking about this idea of, of the root of bitterness, which is a common he says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. 
Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And watch this, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Here's some signs that maybe if you are wondering, do I have any, any offense? Do I have any unforgiveness? Uh, here's a few things is that sometimes when we have bitterness or offense in our life, we may find ourselves easily angered. Uh, we may find ourselves having resentment towards someone. Um, sometimes what happens, this happened to me before when I've been offended, is you'll withdraw from relationships. It's kind of a self-protective mechanism. Or you'll have a hard time trusting other people because of an offense. What I've seen, maybe you've seen this before. Have you ever seen someone that may be in a relationship with you or maybe a relationship with work that you've seen them respond to a situation and in that moment when you saw their reaction, you thought to yourself, there's gotta be more to that story. And here's why. Here's what will happen. When you have unhealed offense, you'll respond to your current relationships as if it's that relationship that offended you. That you'll enter into that relationship with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you will respond to them, whether a withdrawal or lack of trust or maybe your, your wall up, as if they were your previous significant other. You'll respond to your current boss as if they were your former boss. You'll respond to somebody with you at church, your current church, as if they were somebody who hurt you from your last church. But can I help somebody out? This relationship you find yourself in is not that relationship that hurt you years ago. Can I get an amen? But it says that this root of bitterness will, will defile. I love what Job said. Job 21, it says this, that another dies in bitterness of soul. Watch this. Never having enjoyed anything good. That when you are offended, offense will rob you of your joy. Uh, offense, well, you'll have a hard time. I've been there. I've been offended. So please hear this. I'm not saying this. It's like, man, I have, man, every time I'm, I have offense, I just go ahead and brush it off. Come on. Like the, the prophet um, Jay-Z said, just go ahead and brush your shoulder off. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I just thought of it. Come on. I grew up on the blueprint, you know, forgive me. Some of you are too young to know the blueprint. Back in the day, hip-hop was good. Come on, somebody. I don't know what this stuff is nowadays. But now I only listen to the Cray and Andy Minio because I'm a godly man. I only listen to Christian. That wasn't in my notes. See, I'm, I, got, I always got to be careful. I tell certain people to pray for me because I never know what's going to come out of my mouth. And I have a microphone on. It's on the internet now. So this is not a public endorsement of the Blueprint or Blueprint 2. But... Come back to being spiritual. So offenses happen. And here's what will happen. I've been there where, where because you're offended, you can actually be in a great season but not be enjoying it. That you can be in a great relationship but you don't have peace in your spirit because you're offended. That's what it says. It will defile many. And it spreads like a virus. I was talking to a, to a dad uh, right before service, and we were talking about how, like, you know, it's, it's fall, kids back to school. You know what that means? For the next four months, your child's nose will persistently run. Come on, somebody. Anybody else? You're like, I'm already tired of it. I'm like, there's too much liquid coming out right now. <laughs> and it's like they get, they get better from the cold, and that's another cold. You're like, oh, Lord, help us. Like, all right, build that immune system. Come on. But 
it's that season, right? And viruses spread. Like, why, why do they get a cold virus? They go to school. The next thing you know, the entire classroom has the cold. And in the same way, the scripture says bitterness or offense, it grows in your life and it begins to defile many parts of your life. It interferes in your relationships. That you're unable to have a healthy relationship with your current spouse because you're still offended from your last relationship. You have a hard time actually finding joy in a church you find yourself in because of offense from a previous church. That we have to understand the power of this. The Bible says that Jesus came to give you life and life to the full, but you have an enemy of your soul who came to bring destruction to your life. And one way I see that the enemy brings destruction to the lives of followers of Jesus is he will get you to live offended. Because he knows, oh, if you hold on to offense, you'll become bitter, you won't have joy, you won't have peace, and you'll be a bad witness for Jesus Christ because you're walking around frustrated, angry, and full of anxiety because you're still holding on to what someone did five years ago. And please hear, my passion is not frustration. My passion comes from I have succumbed to the, to the actions of the enemy. I have lived offended before and I've seen it do destruction. And I'm hoping today in Jesus name, we're going to overcome offense. I love what Maya Angelou says. She says, bitterness is like cancer. It eats upon its host. And can I tell you, it will not only spread amongst you, it will spread to others. Have you ever met a family or a group of friends, or a group of people, and they were like all offended, all bitter, because it spreads, it's, it's a virus, it's, a, it's like an infection. So what do we do if we find ourselves, and I, I feel like maybe I'm still, I'm still offended, is, is what we do, let me, let me share some scripture with you about the Lord and what he wants to do. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves the crushed in spirit. That word brokenhearted literally means to be shattered to pieces. Has someone ever hurt you to the extent that you felt like you were broken? Maybe it was a word they spoke over you. Maybe it was an ex-spouse's unfaithfulness to you. Maybe it was the fact that your father walked out on you. Maybe it was some harsh words that your former boss said to you. Can I tell you the nature of our God that, that word, near to the brokenhearted, it literally means that when, um, I'll give you the word picture of what that, what that means in the Hebrew. Uh, I remember two, two, about a year and a half ago, I broke, I, have a, I do pour over coffee in the morning and I have a pour over coffee carafe and it shattered. And when it shattered, glass went all over the kitchen and these little shards of glass and I had to get down on the floor, floor close to the shards of glass so I could actually see them. I could not see them from afar off. I wanted to make sure my kids didn't step on a piece of glass from this, this coffee carafe. Here's what the word picture is for near to the brokenhearted. It means that in your brokenness, God gets down at our level and gets close to us in our brokenness. Aren't you grateful that we have a God who gets close to you in your brokenness? That if you feel like maybe, my God, I'm so broken, God, I'm so hurt, and maybe you feel like the enemy will try to sell you a lie that somehow God is distant in those moments. Can I tell you from the scripture, it's the exact opposite. That he's a loving father and he comes close in our brokenness. And here's our responsibility. Psalm 55, 22, as we give our burdens to the Lord, and says, and he will take care of you. 
I think there's a propensity for all of us, including myself. I was even reflecting on my own prayer life this week. I think sometimes, especially if you've been walking with God for a while, you've been around church, that our, our prayer life can almost, um, it can be something like this. All right, God, well, bless, bless my, my, my relationship. God, bless my work. God, uh, you know, make that coworker who annoys me stop, Lord. You know, um, well, make my kids listen to me, please, Jesus. Um, bless them. All right, in Jesus' name. And there's nothing wrong with praying prayers like that. There's nothing wrong with it. But here, here's what I want to submit to you. When is the last time in your conversation with the Lord were you actually honest with him about the things that have hurt you? About your brokenheartedness? That time when maybe it was an offhand comment that your mother made, but because she's your mother and because it was a neglectful comment, it pierced your soul. Or when's the last time that you talked with God about how your, maybe your husband's, like he may not even see it this way, but it feels like neglect of some things in your life as creating offense in your heart. Or maybe it's that time that the coworker, you found out they talk behind their back and if you're honest, it really, really hurts you. When's the last time were you, were you honest with God about your hurt and your brokenness? That word care, it literally means to give a word picture. The, the, the actual meaning in Hebrew, that word care, refers to a shepherd nourishing their sheep. Do you know who the Bible calls our good shepherd? Jesus. I think it's no surprise that God says, when you give me your burdens, I will care for you like a shepherd cares for his sheep. That I will literally bring restoration and healing to your soul when you give me your burdens. I'll give you a picture of this. I want to illustrate this for you. Um, have my friend Kennedy come in to help me. Come on, give it up for Kennedy. Come on. So, so this is, this backpack can represent um, the weight that we carry of our burdens, the weight of uh, maybe a, a word spoken by our parents maybe years ago, the weight of maybe the way someone treated us uh, in a relationship. And here's what happens when we begin to give our cares and burdens to the Lord. You can go ahead and start em emptying my burdens. Is when we begin to be honest with God, when we tell him by what our boss did and how it hurt us, when we tell him about how when our father left when we were young, what it did to us, when we tell him how our ex, some of their behaviors harmed us, can I tell you what it does over the course of time? that it actually lightens your burden so now you can walk around a lot more lighter, a lot more free, and a lot more healed in Jesus' name. But you gotta be honest with God. All right, give it up for my friend Kennedy. Thank you, my friend. So number one, you have to give God the burden of your offense. Here's number two. Write this down. You gotta also receive the healing of forgiveness. Paul says to forgive others just as Christ God forgave you. It's like Paul's reminding this moment, his, his exhortation to forgive other people, he's like, remember what Christ has forgiven you of. You ever heard someone say this before when somebody, excuse me, when someone has had success, maybe in their, in their career, in business, or in athletics, or in their um, entertainment world, and someone will say, remember where you came from, Right? It's, it's almost saying, hey, listen, don't get, don't get too high of yourself. 
Remember us normal people down here. <laughs> it's this idea of remembering, right? And, and there's an element, there can be, of health to that. You know, you don't want to get too pride because pride comes before the fall. So here's what Paul's saying. Even when people offend you, remember how your sin has offended God. That remember that when you're having a hard time, when you think you're better than somebody else because of how they treated you, remember how your sin is an offense to God, but God still forgave you. So he says, listen, because here's what Paul knew. You cannot give what you have not received. You, you, you cannot give somebody, if you were to come up here this morning and say, hey, Jeremy, could I get a brand new car? I'm like, I don't have a brand new car. Come on, somebody. I can give you a 2014 Honda Pilot, though. Um, that's what I have. Um, you can only give what you've received. Are you following me? And he knows, listen, remember, you have been forgiven. I think here's what Paul knew about us. Have anybody else realized this? I know I have. I will openly confess. Has anybody else had this experience? It's easier to see the sin in somebody else than sometimes to see your own sin. Now you see somebody else, or like what's even worse, have you ever like maybe noticed somebody else's sin, but then when you really thought about it, you realized, oh, I'm judgmental too. <laughs> oh, I can be prideful too. Oh, oh, I can get jealous too. It reminded me of... Um, I actually had an occurrence this morning very similar to what I want to share with you that reminded me of this. Uh, I remember it was a few weeks ago. We have these little chocolate protein drinks in our house for our kids um, because they don't eat a lot of vegetables and they have minerals in them. So come on, somebody. I got to get them in any way you can. And, but we limit how many they can have uh, because they're chocolate and they cost money. Come on, somebody. Um, <laughs> Um, I'm like, when you get a job, you can have all you want. But until then, uh, so, so my son, was, uh, he, was, he was calling out his younger sister, Ab Abigail. He said, Dad, and he actually did this this morning too, a second time. It was kind of funny when he did it. I was like, oh. But he said, Dad, Abby's getting a chocolate drink. They call it, they think it's chocolate milk. Like, she's getting chocolate milk. He says this, mind you. While he has a chocolate drink in his hand and a little bit of chocolate on his left upper lip. I said, son, so you're saying Abigail is getting the very drink that you have in your hand and on your face? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's easier, right? You know, like we, we become experts on other people's sin and novices on our own. We see it all around the culture, don't we? People call out the other side's sin all the time. Well, you did, well, you did. I think it would be much healthier for our culture if we began repenting of other people's sin instead of calling out other people's sin. Repenting of our own sin instead of calling out other people's sin. Because I, I think what, in this moment, what Paul is saying is that we must first understand of what we've done and what God's done for us. Here's what John says in 1 John 1.8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, here's the good news. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. Aren't you grateful that God is always willing to forgive your sin? Can I tell you this too? 
How you, A.W. Tozer, a theologian, author said this, that how you view God is the most important thing about you. Here's why. If you view God as being unforgiving, you will be unforgiving. If you view God as angry about your sin, you will be angry about somebody else's sin. If you view God being harsh with you, you'll in turn be harsh with people. But let's look on the flip side. And here's the power, and I want to submit to you, to build a rhythm in your life of regular confession of sin. Last week, we talked about confessing sin to each other for freedom. We confess our sin to God for forgiveness. And, and here's why confession is so powerful. I want you to hear this. When I confess my sin, when I'm, when I'm aware of my own sin and I confess about that pride in my heart, I confess about that moment of, of jealousy that took a grip of my heart when I was scrolling Instagram or pride when I thought I was better than that coworker. Those, when I confess sin, listen, confessing sin does not remind you of how bad you are. It reminds you of how good God is. Because in that moment, you realize, oh my goodness, it's like the Apostle Paul said, my righteousness, my morality is like filthy rags. But when I was a sinner, when I was far from God, he loved me so much. He, he predetermined, Jeremy, I want to forgive you so much so he put Jesus on the cross to die for you and me. So when we confess our sin, it reminds us of how good God is. It reminds us of how gracious he is. It reminds me when I confess my sin to God that his grace is sufficient, that his mercies are new every morning, that I've been redeemed and I've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus, that my own standing with God is not contingent upon how good I am. It's contingent upon who he is. And can I tell you, listen, the enemy will try to convince you that somehow your standing with God is contingent upon your morality. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. And when you confess your sin, you confess those thoughts, you confess those things you did when you lashed out in your anger at somebody, when you acted on that lust in your heart, when you let greed run for a little bit in your heart, when you confess that to God, you're reminded, oh God, your grace is sufficient. God, your mercies are new every morning. God, you've forgiven all of my sin, God. So then in turn, because you've received his mercy, you're merciful. Because you've received his grace, oh, you're gracious. Because you've received his forgiveness, you willingly forgive others. Can I submit to you, perhaps your difficulty with forgiving that person who hurts you in your life is because you have a hard time accepting God's forgiveness in yours. Maybe the, the reason you have a hard time being gracious with your ex because you have a hard time receiving God's grace for your own life. Can I encourage someone? The Bible says in Hebrews eight twelve, God not only forgives your sin, it actually says this, he forgets your sin. He said, I will remember your sins no more. Can I, can I submit this to someone in the room this morning? I, I feel someone in this room, someone online, you still feel shame over what you did. You still feel this kind of, you feel like maybe your past sin is hanging over you. Can I tell you, you no longer need to feel shame over what God has forgiven and forgotten about. You can go ahead and like, this is I think my first time now quoting two 
prophets, but I'll quote one more. As the prophet Calvin Brodus said, you have to drop it like it's hot. You have to drop it. Listen, God has forgiven you of your sin and he has already forgotten of it when you confess it. Can I get an amen? A.W. Tozer says, you have been forgiven, so act like it. Listen, can I tell you the shame you feel about over the sin you've committed is not from heaven, it's from the pit of hell. Jesus did not come to put shame on you, he came to take shame off of you. In Jesus' name, amen? C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Can I tell you, I I think that Christians, followers of Christ, should be the most gracious, merciful, forgiving people in all of the world. Hear this, not because we're better than those who aren't. It's because our God is so good to us. That's what C.S. Lewis says. The reason we should be the most gracious, we should be the most merciful, we should be the most forgiving, regardless of what someone does to us, is because of how he's forgiven us. I love this moment in Matthew 18. Peter. Anybody else? I I can relate to Peter. Like, Peter's a little bit emotional. Come on. I'm a little emotional. You know, he got a little angry, cut a guy's ear off. I've never done that. (laughs) Thought about it? Maybe. And he was kind of like hard-headed sometimes. I I, I like Peter. And he comes to Jesus. He He says, Jesus, now, he, now, I imagine Peter's probably thinking real highly of himself. He's like, he's like, hey, hey, disciples, hey, watch this. Hey, hey, watch this. Watch this. Hey, Jesus, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? He's like, up to seven times. He's probably nudging them. Yeah, yeah, come on. Now, I got him. Here's why. Rabbinical teaching taught you. You forgive someone three times. On the fourth time, you take revenge. So you cross me three times, you're forgiven. Four times, I cut you. (laughs) So he's like seven times. I've done double the standard. Like Jesus, I know I'm your favorite, right? Come on. Jesus answers him and says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Everyone in that moment, mind blown. He didn't just say, Hey, go a level above the standard. He says, I have come to set a brand new standard. Here's what Jesus taught him. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. Can I tell you, there are people that I have forgiven that I still do not feel like forgiving them. Can I free somebody up this morning? There are some people, what they have done to you, you may never feel like forgiving them. But here's the biblical instruction, forgive them anyway. Because forgiveness isn't a feeling. I don't wait until I feel it, I forgive them. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrong. Keeps no record of wrong. We don't hold it. Here's what forgiveness is. Listen, forgiveness is not forgetfulness. And and let me also say this, forgiveness is not reconciliation. May I submit this to you? Listen, we, we have been given, as Paul said in Corinthians, the ministry of reconciliation. So I think if you are healed and whole enough and the other person is willing, I do think reconciliation is a beautiful depiction of the gospel here on earth. However, there are times and moments 
or the nature of the offense is so severe, it may not be healthy for you to reconcile. Or the person may be unrepentant and it may not be healthy for you to reconcile. Because sometimes we can, we can believe we haven't forgiven because we're not besties again. It may not be best for you to ever to be besties again, depending on what they've done to you. But Paul says, so he's not saying forget about. He's saying, but he's saying no longer hold it over their head. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not forgetfulness. Forgiveness is releasing that person to God. It's saying, I am no longer expecting that person to reconcile. I am no longer expecting that person to right the wrong they did to me. I am leaving them to the justice of our God. That's what forgiveness is. It's keeping no record of wrong. Here's what it means. It means, listen, I'm gonna get real practical. When you have an argument with your spouse, you don't bring up what she did six months ago and you hold it over their head. You bring up what he did two years ago. That's keeping a record of wrong. Now, same with other relationships. You're not bringing in the past. You're, you're saying, you know what? I'm forgiving you. I release you. I'm moving forward. It doesn't mean you might. I'm not saying either that you trust fully. Trust takes time. But forgiveness is immediate. And here's why it's so important. I'm going to end with this. We're going to go to point three. Here's why it's so important. For years of my life, I thought forgiveness was about the other person. But forgiveness is actually about you. Here's what Lisa Turkhurst wrote a book on forgiveness. She says, I think I actually have a, a group reading her book this semester. She says, I always thought forgiveness was an unfair gift. We have to give to the person who hurt us. And what I discovered is forgiveness is more about God giving the gift of healing in our hearts. That actually forgiveness is about your healing and your wholeness. That actually when we forgive others, it actually brings healing into our heart. Can I tell you, when we forgive others, there is probably not a more clearer depiction of the love of our God than we forgive someone who's wronged us. Because that is what Christ has done for you and for me. Amen? Here's a third point. To receive healing from forgiveness. Let me say this one last thing. Remember I shared the big top of the message about how the negative effects of offense. Read, watch this. John Hopkins University, right up the street here. They found that when someone forgives, when someone releases a grudge, they have found that it lowers the risk of heart attack, improves cholesterol levels, reduces blood pressure, and decreases your levels of anxiety and stress. Do you wanna know why? Because our body is telling us you were created to be forgiving. That literally brings healing to your body. It literally reduces inflammation in your body when you live in forgiveness. Here's point three, is then we have to make peace with kindness. The first two points were about you, were about me. I have to give my burdens to God so he can restore my soul. I have to forgive others so I can receive healing. But this one's about other people. I have to make peace with kindness. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another. He says, instead of being bitter, be kind. 
Colossians 3.12, the Apostle Paul says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderheartedness, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Come on, one of my favorite things about fall is, is it's, it's like coat season. It's like layer season. If you can't tell, I like layers. Come on, somebody. You go outside, right, and you feel a little nip in the air, you put on a jacket. You have to put on a jacket because you don't, you don't sleep with your jacket on. If you do, we're gonna pray for you after service, okay? <laughs> or we're gonna tell your spouse to turn the heat up, okay? <laughs> I just helped someone's marriage. Um, we'll move on. Put the heat up. Don't force your wife to wear a jacket when she sleeps. That'll be in a few weeks for our, another message. Um, but you have to put it on. You know, this time of the year, it's also as parents, come on, it's the time of the year you have to negotiate with your child to put a jacket on. Anybody else? Just My son Judah wants to wear a t-shirt and shorts every day. So we get, you know, y'all feel this pain? So like when it gets cold, he's like, I don't want to wear like either pants or jackets. We're like, go, why don't you go outside before we bring you to school, go outside for 10 minutes, just hang out there. Just hang out. Listen, don't call Child Protective Services on me, okay? I pull him in before he turns blue. But I need to teach him. Son, you need a jacket. It's, it's Thanksgiving, right? But you have to put it on. Paul says you got to put on kindness. You have to clothe yourself with the compassion. You know what that tells me? Come on. You're not kind naturally. Come on, somebody. If you think you are, just ask your spouse or your roommate, am I kind? And they'll tell you, nope, you got to put that on. <laughs> you got to put on kindness. You got to put on compassion. We're not naturally humble. We're naturally prideful. We're not naturally gentle. We're, we're naturally harsh. So Paul says you have to put it on. You have to clothe yourself. Do you want to know how you put on kindness? Is you spend time in God's presence. We put on kindness when we open up the word of God. We allow the word of God to shape us and form us. In Ephesians 4, at the beginning of Ephesians, Paul says to allow the spirit to renew you. Allow the spirit of God to renew you from the inside out. That we put on kindness when we spend time in prayer and we allow God, the Holy Spirit, to lead us. That we put on kindness when we spend time in worship, when we sit under the teaching of the word of God. What are we doing? We're allowing the spirit of God to renew us and to shape us. Why? So when we go back out to work tomorrow, we can be kind to that coworker. When we go back home, we can be kind and compassionate to our children. When we go back to other environments, we can be gentle with people, not harsh with people. We got to put on kindness. And here's why. It says in Ephesians 4, and as I read this, the worship team can come. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Watch this. Binding yourself together with peace. That word kindness in the original Greek, it means goodness. It means goodness that brings about spiritual and eternal fruit. It's the literal definition of that. I once heard a, a pastor in my life tell me, he said, Jeremy, when we do good, we actually do God's will. 
Uh, some of you ever wonder what's God's will? Just do what is good. Just be kind. And, and what that means is this, is that if we want the fruit of the Spirit, if we want more peace in our relationships, be more kind in our relationships. Come on, if you want more joy in your house tonight, go home this afternoon and give your spouse a genuine compliment. Come on, somebody. You want more peace in your workplace? Bring in donuts tomorrow morning. Come on. It's gonna feel like revival broke out. The Lord is in Krispy Kreme. If, if you want, listen, if you want some joy in your community group, bring a dessert with you this week. Come on. Especially if you're coming to my community group. <laughs> if you want more love in your family, why don't you call your parents today just to tell them you love them? But why, don't you, why don't you tomorrow morning for your kids to go to school, just look at them and say, I'm so proud of you. You know, I love when I tell, usually my son will say this, he'll always say, Dad, what for? I just say, I'm just proud of you. Can I tell you, when you're kind, when you're generous, come on, you wanna, you wanna have more joy with your coworkers, pay for their lunch tomorrow. Like when you, when you sow kindness, here's what the Bible tells us, you begin to reap in your relationships peace, joy, love, gentleness, the things we all want in our relationships. So once we give God the burden of our offense, once we receive healing and forgiveness, the relationships that are around us, we sow kindness into them. We, we're generous with them. Romans 12, the Apostle Paul, this is my final scripture. He, he um, is, is talking to the, to the Roman church who had been offended by the Romans, persecuted, the Roman church, if you read church history, I mean, they, they, were, they, they would kill people who were worshiping Christ. They were worshiping underground. Like they couldn't worship publicly in a place like we are today. And Paul instructs them to, to do all they can to live at peace. He says, never pay back evil for evil. And then I love in verse 21, he says this. He says, but don't let evil conquer you. Meaning don't let the offense of the Romans conquer you. Don't allow bitterness to take root. Don't allow unforgiveness to be harbored in your heart. He says, but conquer evil. How do you conquer evil? By doing good. And you know what I think in this scripture? I used to think for years that meant like, oh, we over, overcome evil in the world by doing good. And, and I think it does push back the gates of darkness when we do good, when we're kind to people. But I can I tell you, I think, I believe scripturally what God is more concerned about is you overcoming the evil, the sin, the bitterness in your own heart. That can I tell you when you, that's why Jesus said, bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who harm you. In all honesty, try to pray for that person this week who's offended you. Here's how you know you might still be offended. While you're praying, you're kind of gritting your teeth. You're like, in Jesus' name, bless, bless him. Okay. But can I tell you what I have found when I pray for those who've hurt me, when I bless those who've mistreated me, God changes me. I don't know if he changes them, but he changes me. I think that's what he's actually concerned about. It's my heart. I close this story. 
of Corey Tinboom. She, um, amazing woman, uh, a book called The Hiding Place describes her story. She was a woman who basically protected uh, Jewish people from the Nazis in her house. And she eventually was caught. She was brought to uh, a Nazi internment camp called Ravensbrück. And years after she was released and, and the war was over, she was in a church like this today. She was giving a talk on forgiveness. And she had shared about what she'd walked through, how the Nazis had treated her. And she talked about the power of forgiveness. So after the talk, this man came down the aisle. And he said, I was a Nazi guard in Ravensbrück. He didn't recognize her though. He said, I've since become a Christian. And I now understand that, that God has forgiven me of my sin. But could I ask to hear it from your own lips? She said in that moment, there was nothing on the inside of her that wanted to forgive him. She realized forgiveness is not a feeling. So she prayed under her breath, God help me to forgive this man. He extended his hand to her. And what he didn't know, what she knew, that she had a friend who died at the hands of this guard. She said, I extended my hand, I put it in his, and I looked him in the eyes and I said, I forgive you. She says, as I did, I felt this current just running through my arm and up my shoulder. And she knew, I, she knew it was the presence of God. And she said, before that moment, she said, I have never knew God's love so intimately as I did right then. What did she do? She overcame evil. She pushed back the forces of darkness by doing good, by forgiving someone who hurt her. So I want to submit to you, church, to overcome offense. How do we do it? We, gotta, we have to give God our burdens. Those burdens are real. I felt them. We have to receive healing through forgiveness. Not, not wait till we feel like it, but, but do it. And then we can walk in wholeness and we can walk in kindness so our relationships can be full of peace and joy and love. Can you bow your heads with me, church?